Father, we thank you for this time we come to the service to, uh, to look to your word and to have you speak to us. Father, I pray that you'll give me the words to say, guide me in everything I do here. May I do nothing that's outside of your will or not in accordance to what your word says. I pray, Father, that you'll open our hearts and minds and that you will touch our lives and that you'll help us to understand what is meant by peace and what Jesus brings to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we are, the second Sunday of Advent. We're three Sundays past Thanksgiving. We're smack in the middle of the holidays, and perhaps the last thing many of you have right now, or having your heart right now, is peace. Uh, how many of you have noticed that people around here forget how to drive this time of year? <laughs> I mean... I'm not sure they knew a whole lot to begin with, but what they had, they forget entirely. In fact, I was going down Highway 90, recently thinking about how relaxing it would be to drive through downtown Atlanta right now. Uh, it seems like we run and run and run this time of year, and the only thing reminding us that Jesus is the reason for the season is the occasional button or the occasional sweater that someone's wearing uh, and we only get a glimpse of it because they're running just as hectically as we are. Our text reminds us that Jesus came to give us peace. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read through the entire chapter and then we'll go back through it a little, little bit more slowly. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, wrote... And you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, were, we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the laws of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us 
both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit in the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus is not only the reason for the season, he is our peace. So let's slow down a moment. Let's think about what that means. First of all, what is peace? Now, when we think of peace, we think of perhaps the absence of conflict or the absence of war. Uh, perhaps you think of this time of year in particular, sitting in your living room, looking at the Christmas lights with the Harry, Harry Simeon chorale singing Little Drummer Boy, boy in the background. Uh, that's what I always associate with peace at this time of year. But that's not the concept of peace that Scripture has. It, it goes much deeper. Uh, the Hebrew word for, for peace is shalom often used as a greeting among the Hebrews. And the definition of shalom was what Paul, the Jewish background Christian missionary, had in mind. See, shalom is not just an absence of conflict. It, is, it, is basic, it can be described as just, it's all good. Everything is well. Everything is all right. Shalom is peace with God. It is peace with other people. It is peace with the natural world and it's a right perspective on the material world. It is just everything seems to fall in place. There's a sense of calm, there's a sense of joy, there's a sense of peace. Paul says that Jesus is our peace. He is our shalom. So how does Jesus bring shalom to our lives? Let's First of all, notice how unpeaceful our lives are in those first three verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince and power of the air, meaning you followed the devil. The spirit, that spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, without Christ... What Paul is saying here is you're no better off than those who are without him who out there now. You look at yourself in the mirror, you think, as a Christian, you think, oh, I'm okay. But what Paul is saying here is without Christ, you wouldn't be. There's nothing you could do about it. You would be as bad off as the worst sinner out there. You may not be doing the things they do, but you'd be in the same shape spiritually and eternally. He goes on. He says that we were among them and we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. 
God who is in rich, who is rich in mercy. Mercy, we often define it as not getting what we deserve, but there's also this sense of compassion. That God didn't just look at you and us in our sinful condition without Christ, without him, and say, okay, I, I, I won't strike them dead today. He was moved with compassion to do something about it. He was moved with love and compassion to do something to save us and to change our situation. See, but God saves us by grace. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were without hope. We were children of wrath. But God, by grace, changes that. Through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross in our place, suffered the wrath of God that we should have suffered in our place, was, died and was buried and was raised from the dead, in him we have hope and in him we have eternal life if we will place our faith in him. But he doesn't just save us from sin and leave us in sin. He empowers us. He gives us good works to do. Now, one of the challenges that will come and that I've heard as I've shared the gospel with people and as I would do that in, um, when I was a student at New Orleans Seminary and when I would do it in Muslim countries was, well, if you're saved, then you can just sin as much as you want, right? Well, no. See, God gives us good works to do. Why, why, why be good if I'm saved? Well, years ago when... The Reformation took place, and they were trying to teach people what Scripture said. They came up with these catechisms. And one of them said was actually, why do good works? And the answer was, because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also renewing us by his spirit into his image. So that with our whole eyes, we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits. And that he may be praised through us, and further, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits and by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. So God changes our whole perspective to where, you know, before we were slaves to our passions and to our sins and to the flesh. God changes our perspective so that we want to live lives that are pleasing to him and he empowers us to live those lives so that we will do good works. And what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith conform to God's law and are done for his glory and not those based on our own opinion or human tradition. In other words, God defines what good works are. We can't define them for ourselves. It's not based on our opinion. It's not based on our tradition. It's based upon what God has said good works are. He empowers us to do those. So we can have peace because God has done all of that for us through Jesus Christ. 
Being saved by grace should give you a great deal of peace in your life. You don't have to wonder day to day, okay, have I been good enough for God? Have I done enough to impress him? Have I done enough to be loved by him? When we were missionaries in the Muslim world, you know, they, they had absolutely no assurance that they could be right with God. It was sort of like, oh, well, you don't, aren't you supposed to do these five things? Well, yeah, I can do those five things, but I still won't know if I'm good enough. They could never have peace with God. But because God saves us, because he does the work, because it's not based on anything that we do, we can have peace. We can have assurance. Now let's take a look at verses 11 through 16. These verses connect, connect grace and peace with God with how we can have peace with others. Verses 11 through 16, let me find those. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Okay, let me pause right there a moment without going into too much detail. There were Gentiles. There were Jews. The Jews said to those who were Gentiles, you're not us. And you can't be us. We're special. We're different. We have a covenant with God. We have the mark of that covenant in our lives. And Paul is saying that that was just the work of hands. That that didn't make them right with God. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh to dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In other words, there were Jews, there were Gentiles, and they, particularly in that culture and at that, that time, were absolutely hostile to each other. Jews wanted nothing to do with Gentiles. Gentiles thought Jews were foolish and crazy. And there was a wall of hostility between them. But in Jesus, the dividing wall that separates people from one another and this group of people from that group of people is torn down. Paul had in mind here, as I said, that dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, but, it, but we have our own dividing walls that we put up. What Paul says here is that through Jesus believing Jew and believing Gentile, who are once two peoples become one people. Let me pick, it, pick back up at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you 
and you were far off, and peace to those who were near. Those who were far off were the Gentiles, those who were near were the Jews. For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What he is doing here is assuring the Gentiles in Ephesus that they belong to God, that they are now God's people, just as the believing Jews are. They are no longer aliens and strangers. See, believers, all believers, doesn't matter whether you're from Santa Rosa County or Escambia County, doesn't matter what, what team you're a fan of, it doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter your economic class, it doesn't matter any of the things we put up and say, this divides us, we are followers of Jesus Christ. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, we are fellow citizens of one kingdom. We are family members of one family that is God's household. And he is taking us and he is building us together and putting us together as one temple with Christ as a cornerstone being made a dwelling place for God. See, what he has defined here is what the church ought to be. The church ought to be a group of people, not of all of one race, not all of one economic class, not all of one background, but still, one people made one people by God to be his dwelling place. To be his instrument for witness to this lost and dying world. So since Jesus is our peace, how shall we live in the peace that he gives us? First of all, we personally should maintain our peace with God. Uh, it's helpful to get into the habit of preaching the gospel to yourself every day. It's not original with me. There's a whole, there's a whole book written on the subject. But preach the gospel to yourself every day means that when you have that time of prayer in the morning or in the evening, and you're looking back on your day and you're seeing that sin that is there. Remind yourself, Christ died for that sin. You're forgiven. You belong to God. You are his child, and nothing can separate you from him. Amen. Preach the gospel to yourself every day that you might have peace. But at the same time, don't take God's grace for granted. John Owen said, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. Don't just go around with the attitude, I, I can sin as much as I want, God's going to forgive me. Um, when I was 
a child, before we moved to what I consider my hometown of Maysville, we lived in a community called Dry Pond. Give you a few seconds to figure out how it got its name. Um, we lived in a rental house, and much to my advantage, there was a part to the side of the house where my mom couldn't see me. And I had my Tonka truck, I had my Tonka front end loader, I had, I had a toy shovel, all made of solid metal with sharp edges. Sometimes I think the generation before mine was just trying to kill us. <laughs> all the safety features you have now, I mean, we could bounce around the car, no seat belts, no car seats. And it didn't matter where I got in that car, my dad could reach me. <laughs> With one hand on the wheel. <laughs> Some of you had that experience, I see. Well, I would get out to the side of the house where there was like a turnaround for the gravel driveway, and I would get there with my trucks and my shovel, and I would, I, and I would move dirt. I would move a lot of dirt. I would dig out a hole in the driveway. And this is North Georgia, red dirt, red clay, and it would rain and it would get muddy. And then I had a lake to play in. And I'd go out there and I would play and then I'd hear my name called, ignore it, and it was name, middle name, I'd ignore it, and it was all three, and that's, that's sort of like counting one, two, three, y'all experienced that. And then I would go running and from head to toe, I would be red with dirt. And my mom would sometimes let me in the house, sometimes spray me off in the yard with a hose. She'd clean me up, and it's not 9.30 yet. So the first chance I got, I went back to my hole. Do that two or three times a day. By the third time, she's not washing me anymore. Dad comes home. Why don't you wash that youngin? You want that youngin clean, you wash him yourself. <laughs> Why? Because I love dirt. I love mud. I love moving it around. I love throwing it in the air. I love the feel of it hitting me in the head. <laughs> I love mud. How many of us confess the same sins every day? I mean, don't look at me holier than thou. I do. Many of you probably do. We go back to the same mud hole over and over again. I took for granted as a child water and soap. And while it makes for a funny story as a kid with the mud, when it comes to sin... We're taking for granted the blood of Jesus Christ. So we must be killing sin or it will be killing us.
Not only should we maintain our peace with God, we should also be peacemakers. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Do the good works God has prepared for you to do. Every person outside these doors, every person inside these doors, every person you run across was created in the image of God. Don't care what they've fallen into in their lives, don't care what their sin is, they are created in the image of God and therefore are worthy of your respect and your kindness and your love. And God has good works for us to do for them. To love them, to serve them, to treat them fairly and justly. So we are to relate to those who are far from God in positive ways. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Too much of the way I see believers relate to the lost world today is in your face, two by four to the head, insulting, mean-spirited, and then we wonder why they don't like us. Peter said, always be ready to give a reason for the defense, a reason for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. Share the gospel, make disciples, invite others to the kingdom, invite them to God's family, invite them to be part of this spiritual temple. Do your part to spread the gospel to all peoples. Now, lately, you know, there's a lot of talk of the end times. I say lately, it seems like as long as I've been in church, there's been a lot of talk about the end times. And there's a lot of talk about Matthew 24, where Jesus speaks and he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. There'll be earthquakes. You know what he says there? And that's just the beginning. The time is not yet. Yet we get all excited about those things. We get all thrilled about them. We pull out our charts, see where it fits. The one thing Jesus said clearly in Matthew 24, 14 is that this gospel will be preached as a testimony among all nations and then the end will come. And that's what we're least excited about. So as you go from here, Pick up one of those prayer guides. I know the week of prayer just ended today, but you can do it next week. Trust me, there aren't any missionaries saying, I hope no one prays for me this week. (laughs) Pick it up. Pick up an offering envelope. Give, support those who are going to be present. For there are those who are without Christ. Also, Maintain peace in Christ's body, the church. Practice the one another's found in Scripture. I've got a list of them here in case you're wondering what you should do. Love one another. 
Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Okay, that hit me. Okay. I'm not that social. Okay, I got to be more social. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Speak the truth in love to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It says speak. doesn't necessarily say sing. Those who can sing, by all means. Me, no. (laughs) Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to, uh, to the interest of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given you for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. You know, if we got around to that list, we wouldn't have much time to sin against one another. So practice to one another's found in Scripture. Also, contend if necessary for peace and unity in the body of Christ. Now, I almost didn't bring this up. Because when you're preaching and you bring up something like this, people say, oh, there must be something going on. As far as I know, I don't know of anything going on in this church. I am blissfully ignorant if there is something going on. Now, I will admit the older I get, the more it is my goal in life to be blissfully ignorant of many things. (laughs) But as far as I know, there's nothing like that going on. But if necessary... Contend for peace and unity in the body of Christ. When you see someone doing something that could bring disunity, that could interrupt the peace, say something. Say it lovingly and kind, but say something. And further, guard your own heart. Guard your own heart from anger. Guard your own heart from bitterness. Guard your own heart from hurt. Guard your own heart from resentment. Do what you need to do to maintain peace with other people. This morning... We've talked about how Jesus is our peace and how we should respond to his offer. If you are here and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then this is the morning for you to accept the peace that God has for you. He wants peace with you. He sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins so that he can have peace with you. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants a relationship with you. So receive Jesus as your peace if you don't know him as Lord and Savior. Realize that God loves you. 
Realize that God has, wants a relationship with you. Realize and, and believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you can have that relationship with him and put your faith in him. That's all you have to do. For by grace are you saved through faith. And if you're already a believer, dedicate your life to being a peacemaker, to sharing the gospel with others, to maintaining the unity and peace of the church, to guarding your own heart from those things which take peace away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for Jesus Christ. Who came to save us. Who came to give us peace and bring us peace. Father, I pray that as we have these moments here this morning. That your spirit will move in our lives. That if there's anyone here who lacks that peace. That, Father, they would not leave here today without trusting Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray, Father, for us as a church, that we will walk in the peace that you give us. Peace with one another, peace with you, being peacemakers in this world and sharing the gospel. Help us to honor you with our lives. Help us to live lives that reflect the peace that comes from you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?